All right, like Jason said, Psalms chapter 1, 1 through 6. At the end of the reading, because we love God's word, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and we will respond with thanks be to God. All right, Psalms 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Westside. We are glad that you're here. And today we start a new series through the book of Psalms, which we're super excited about. So what we've done over the past couple of years is that in the summer we sort of press pause we don't sort of stop, we just wind down a little bit, and we've dove into the book of Psalms over the past couple of summers. We've done the Psalms of Ascent and everything like that, and there's really a good reason for that. And, and maybe just this introduction will be helpful. Um, this is a picture of my Aunt BB um, and our family and kids and Aunt BB is the cool aunt um, growing up. She's that fun aunt who hangs out. She's always been a blast for me growing up. And then now for my kids to get to experience the fun stuff of Aunt BB, and that's crazy Uncle Don, and he's just crazy, okay? Right? Everybody's got to have that uncle. But what I love, um, when I think about Aunt BB, there's one thing that inevitably always comes to my mind. And no matter where we were or no matter what was going on, Aunt BB is notorious for being the bag lady, okay? Do, do, do we know what we're talking about here? And when I mean the bag lady, she doesn't have one purse. She has like three purses, and they're filled with everything, all right? And it was always Ziploc bags. She always had stuff in Ziploc bags and then had the date on that Ziploc bag. If you go in her house, the soap, the everything has a date on it because Lord forbid you use anything that's expired, okay, right? And I remember one time being at a family, it was a graduation event, her son was graduating and we were there for so long and I was like, I'm so thirsty. I'm not going to make it. I'm so thirsty. And Aunt BB got into her bag and pulled out an entire can of Sprite. And I was like, goodness gracious. I mean, Aunt BB would have Tylenol in there. She's even got a little can of mace in case you kind of get bowdy with her or something. I mean, Aunt BB's bag, listen, had everything. It was a go-to. She always had something in there. And you're like, Jason, what in the world? Does this have to do with anything? Well, listen, when I think about the book of Psalms and when we survey the history of the church for over 2,000 years, the book of Psalms is sort of like Aunt Bibi's bag. Now, here's what I mean about that. The Puritans would say this. The book of Psalms is the soul's medicine chest. That no matter what you're going through and no matter what stage of life that you are in, that if you're happy and you're celebratory, there are psalms of celebration. 
If you're sad and if you're mourning, there are psalms of lament. If you are someone who's been sinned against and you're praying and asking God for justice, there are psalms of justice. The psalms are filled with emotions written by God's people over thousands of years through tons of experience. And listen, what the church of Jesus Christ and the people of God have experienced over thousands of years is going back to the book, uh, the book of Psalms. And no matter what we're going through, we find in it what we need. St. Athanasius said this about the book of Psalms. Whatever your particular need or trouble, from the same book you can select a form of words to fit it, so that you not merely hear and pass on, but you learn the way to remedy your ill. That's found in the book of Psalms. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said that the book of Psalms are a mini Bible. That whatever you need can be found in this book. And so what we're going to do over the summer months is we're going to be diving in and looking at a psalm each week. And what I love about this is the Bible is timeless, so it's always timely. That no matter what you're going through and what season of life, we can find what we need in the book of Psalms. And, and so maybe, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're um, a young Christian and you're like, man, I don't know about books of the Bible. What's this all about? Here's just a little bit of review. And, and we love God's word here at Westside. Amen. Oh, that was a real bad amen there, okay? Um, we love God's Word here at Westside. Amen? Amen. amen. And so we, we believe you can't just kind of crack this open and not really know what you've got. You've got to know what you have to appreciate it. So, so here's just a little bit of an overview. Um, the word psalm translates from the Greek to song. And, and, and so literally what the book of psalms are is a, a, a list or a hymn book of Israel, that it's literally like God's greatest hits, if you will, that this is poetry, that this is rhythm, that this has rhyme, that it has in these beautiful artistic ways of expressing not only human emotion, but beautiful theology about God. Um, there's actually multiple authors um, a lot of people think that David, that, that one guy who killed the giant and a bear with his bare hands, like manly man David, but he also like played the harp. He was like the original hipster, if you will, okay, right? A lot of people think David wrote the whole book, but that's actually not true. There's multiple authors. Moses even wrote a psalm, and, and the book spans about a thousand years of Israel's history. So, I mean, all the way from the crossing of the Red Sea um, to being captive in Babylon, there is a lot in this book. It's actually the longest book in the Bible with 150 chapters. So, so your Bible that you actually hold in your hand um, isn't just a single book. It's actually like a library. It has multiple books and multiple volumes in it. 66 books. Um, 40 plus different authors spanning four continents, three different languages, but at the end of the day, there is one hero, and that hero is Jesus Christ. Amen? And then it's the most um, quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Now, think about this for just a minute. When Peter 
when Paul, not the band, Peter, Mary, Paul, right? Um, when, when these New Testament authors explain or preach about Jesus, the most quoted book that they draw from is the book of Psalms, which is very important. That tells me something. That tells me that in order for us to understand the book of Psalms, we actually have to understand who Jesus is. You see, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he, he died on the cross, and then three days later, he rose again. Jesus actually did a Bible study with a group of disciples. And, and one of the things that it said that Jesus did is that they didn't understand that it was even Jesus, that he had resurrected. They didn't know what was going on. And so it says in Luke's gospel that beginning with Moses and the prophets and all of the scriptures, he interpreted what the scriptures meant concerning himself. So we can't read the Old Testament without knowing who Jesus is. It's almost like, um, do you remember that movie with Bruce, Will, uh, Bruce Willis, the, the Sixth Sense with the, with the little kid, right, and all this kind of spooky stuff and everything? There's this scene at the end of the movie, where the spoiler alert, by the way, okay, but the movie is like 15 years old, all right, so if you haven't seen it. But there's this thing at the end of the movie where you realize, like Bruce Willis, the main character, he's been dead, like the whole movie. And you're like, oh my goodness. And then it shows all of these scenes. Listen, the next time that you watch that movie, you know, you can't help but watch it and realize, man, this guy's dead. I can't believe that. Listen, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's how we now read the entire Bible. That when they prophesy and they talk about this king that is to come, it is talking about Jesus. And now the Psalms are arranged into five separate books. So when you read the book of Psalms, sometimes there's a heading that says book one, book two, or book three. And the reason why that's important to know is because God's law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is arranged at the beginning of the Bible. So, so every January, whenever we start to sort of read our Bible, you know, we read through Genesis and we're like, I'm doing great. Then we get to Exodus and we're like, oh, we're this is so awesome. The Red Sea, all of this stuff. And then boom, you hit Leviticus and you're like, I'll start again next year or something, right? Well, listen, that's God's law. And so the people in the Old Testament actually memorized those books. But the reason why the Psalms are arranged in five books is because the Psalms are like a soundtrack of the law of God, which tells me something. Um, a lot of us just sort of think that the Bible is um, didactic. And that's a big word that simply means that it's constantly teaching us something all the time. And we've got our checklist and we've got our notebook. And we're like, I'm reading this today and I need to learn this. Then we get to Paul and Paul's like, here's three things that you need to know. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. God saves sinners, you're a sinner. And so it's always bullet points and it's nice and organized and everything like that. But the book of Psalms is poetry. It's songs. And there's something about songs that connect with human emotion. I mean, literally, we see all the way back in the beginning of creation, when God creates our first parents, Adam and Eve, 
When God creates Adam, he sees that he needs a helper fit for him. And so he creates Eve from his side. And the first time that Adam sees Eve is like this Barry Manilow song in Scripture, right? It's like, hey girl, hey, right? And Adam sings a song to Eve. He doesn't go back and just quote the Scriptures and very robotic and this, that, and the other. And why is this important to understand? It's very important to understand because I believe us as Christians struggle when it comes to our emotions and our feelings. Now, for some of us, our emotions actually guide us. And that's a very, very dangerous thing. We say this here at Westside, that your emotions and your feelings are a good gauge to sort of let you know where you're at, but they're a very poor guide. And the reason why is, is because they're fickle. And really, quite frankly, in a way, Sometimes we can't even trust our own emotions and feelings. And especially in this day and age and culture, when our emotions and feelings are king, and it even trumps truth. And so what the book of Psalms is going to teach us is this. How do we engage our emotions? Some of us are in a season of life where it's very difficult, and we're down, and we're sad. And instead of slapping a hallmark Christian, it's okay, God's got it, and we just sort of like all of this. And what we're doing is we're actually bypassing our emotions. Psychologists actually have a term for it now. It's called spiritual bypassing. And so that's where phrases that we've just studied where, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. These things come from because what we're afraid of doing is we're afraid of processing them. But what we see in the book of Psalms is a primary way to process our emotions. And so as they are engaged and arranged in five books, today we start with Psalm chapter 1, which is the entryway into the book of Psalms. And maybe, maybe this will help a little bit. Um, a couple of months ago, my family and I got to go up. Uh, we had a doctor's appointment, and so we got to visit the St. Louis Arch and got to do the museum and all of that stuff. And I've been there multiple times, and it's super fun for the kids to go. I'm sure that you've been there, and, and it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Love going to the museum, seeing all the history and the architecture, and then you try to play with those blocks where you try to, like, build the arch yourself, and it's just incredible to see. But when I was there, I, I realized I learned something when I was there. I always thought that this was called the St. Louis Arch. That's not the name of it. The official name is the Gateway Arch. I mean, that's the website. That's the official name. It's not the St. Louis Arch. It's the Gateway Arch. And the reason why is because St. Louis and Missouri with the Mississippi River with the expansion of the West, was the gateway to the West. That's what that symbolized. Now, Psalm chapter 1 is the gateway to the book of Psalms. It's not like the other Psalms. It's actually not even a prayer. All the other book of Psalms are actually, tons of them are prayers that have taught the people of God how to pray through the years. 
But what this psalm is, is that it's a gateway. It's an entryway to the rest of the book of Psalms. And in a way, with the arrangement, the, the Psalm chapter 1 tells us this, that if you want to know the rest of the book, and if you want to know how to utilize this book, you need to know Psalm chapter 1. And, and, and just look at it. It's really a compare and contrast. It's about the godly and the ungodly way of life. I mean, we say, well, we see, you know, wicked and then sinners and then scoffers, but then there's this godly, there's somebody who's like a tree that's planted, and then the wicked are not so, they're like chaff. And, and, and so what we see is this compare and this contrast of really just two paths to life. And, and listen, that's not, not a popular thing. And, and Jesus would actually reinforce this again in the New Testament. He says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. Now, I would just lay this before you. Instead of the statement that there are only two paths of the godly and the ungodly being provocative, Instead of that being provocative, if we understand the scriptures rightly, we should be amazed that there's even a way to God. When we understand the brokenness of humanity, like, like listen, if, if you're a non-believer in here or somebody who's just sort of peeking over the fence at Christianity, you can't just cop out and say, well, I don't believe that. You also have to have an answer and a worldview yourself. So when we look at the brokenness of the world, when we see everything, I mean, just turn on the news for like two seconds. And by the way, that's the amount of time that I would recommend that you watch news, okay? <laughs> there is something wrong. Something's happened. And I would just lay before us that what if we considered these two paths? Now, there's a couple ways that I could actually preach this psalm. I mean, when you look at it, look at verses 1 and 2. I could preach the psalm this way. I could say, do you want to have a godly life? Do you want to have a godly life? Then you don't need to do these things. Because look at verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, I mean, I, mean I, could, I could just barrel down the list because it's right there, right? I mean, I could say you don't drink, cuss, or chew or go with girls that do. You don't do any of this stuff. I mean, the blessed life is marked by what you don't do. I could preach it that way. I could give you a list of 10 things today that you need to start, stop doing. And you know what? You would leave here today with more burdens than when you came in. And we would leave here today a bunch of Pharisees judging our relationship with God by what we do and by what we don't do. And God loves us so much more on the days when we don't do these things than on the days when we do these things. But that's not the way that this psalm is constructed. You see, the key to the psalm is found in verse 2. There's a reason why this blessed man lives a certain way, okay? And it's delight. That's the word I'm looking for. Listen, I'm not interested in behavior modification. 
No, 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 no. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not behavior modification. The gospel is about heart transformation. And do you know how your heart transforms and changes? St. Augustine, the early church father, would say this. We need a reordering of our loves. Because you see, what you love is what you will pursue. It is not so much your direction that determines your destination like in these two paths in this psalm. It's not your direction. Listen, it's your desires. It is the desires of the heart. Why is it when the child ate the cookie from the cookie jar, who, me, yes, you? It couldn't be. Remember that song, right? How come when they lie and say that they didn't, why did they lie? Maybe a fear of punishment? Maybe. But the reality is, is they chose the cookie over the word of mom and dad because they delighted in that more than mom and dad's word to them. Going all the way back to Genesis, when the enemy said, did God really say? It says that Eve saw that the tree and the fruit was a delight. Listen, today it's about desires. And this blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. But here's the key. How does he live this way? How does he live on this godly path? And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's the key to Psalm chapter 1. And not just Psalm chapter 1, but the rest of the book of the Psalms. That if we are to understand how to use and utilize the book of Psalms, we need to learn this word meditate and what it means. Now, it's not like Eastern spiritual meditation, like the yoga stuff or whatever. Hey, I love it if you stretch, by the way. I think we should all, you know, get our stretching on and all that good stuff, right? But listen, Eastern spiritual meditation is about the emptying of the mind. It's about trying to find that Zen place and the emptying of the mind. As, as believers, we don't believe in the emptying of the mind. We believe in the transformation of the mind. And the transformation of the mind comes from filling the mind with the Word of God. And we do that through meditating. Now, everybody meditates. Everybody, you just don't know that you're doing it, okay? Um, do you remember back in the day, like I remember when Courtney and I first started dating... And I don't know if kids do this anymore or if I'm giving my age away. But do you remember when, when you were dating that one, you know, that person, and they gave you a picture? And, and remember in your car, you would put that picture right there in the dash? Do you guys remember that? You guys remember putting that in the dash and maybe their necklace or something and their class ring? We used to do like class ring. And then you'd put that in the rearview mirror or something like that. What are you doing with the picture? You're meditating. You're putting that picture of that loved one there in the dash because every time that you're driving, every time you get in the car, you're meditating. You're like, oh, man. And, you know, whenever uh, I used to get, when Courtney and I were in communication, and, and, and I would come home and I would check my email or I would check my Facebook, and I would see if I had a message from her. Oh, man, that's good stuff, right? And you just read that message like over and over. And then she says something like, was thinking about you today. You're like, son, she was thinking about me today. I mean, what are you doing? 
You're meditating. You're loving Him. Or, or back in the day, for some of you older people, when you got the Pony Express letter or something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? What are you doing? You're, you're meditating. You're reading it every time. You're keeping it. That's what meditating is. Or um, how about this? Um, I have a father-in-law that anytime for any family events or functions, he's really into like grilling, like smoking meats and stuff like that. And, you know, the meat's been smoking for 24 hours and he puts it on the grill and he does all this stuff and it's a rack of ribs. And I mean, it's a process, man. Some of you guys are into this and it's a small fortune and it's an obsession to do this. And you know what? I would love to be invited to come over and try some of whatever that you're sampling or doing, right? But one of the things that's always cool is I ask him, like, hey, what'd you do to prepare this? And he's like, well, so I found this marinade and, and I let it soak and marinate for, you know, 24 hours or 48 hours. And I'm like, well, why do you do that? Well, it's to get the taste. And then he says, you know, it also breaks down the meat a little bit and it makes it softer, and then it's, ju- and it's, just, mm, it's just good stuff. Listen, when it comes to meditating on the Word of God, I want you to think of something like that that is soaking and... Me- well, here's the definition. Biblical meditation is the slow act of soaking and saturating in the Scriptures so that they move from our head to our heart. That's how it drops down. You see, many of us have Bible memory. Like I'll never forget even growing up in a Christian home, going to Christian schools. I had to memorize Bible verses for my grade in school, but they weren't in my heart. They were in my head. And I'm so thankful that I had that upbringing because when the Lord saved me and the Spirit of God entered into my heart and mind, those were like seeds on a dry seed bed. And the water of the Spirit of God flourished those things. And I still have those in my memory to this day. But listen, it's a slow act. That's how we treat the Scriptures. That's how we treat the book of Psalms. Listen, we can't just scroll. We can't just skim. I'm all into daily uh, reading of the Bible. I think that you should be doing that. That's important. We have Bible reading plans out there in the lobby. We're reading through the Bible together as a church. But listen, if you are just blowing through the Bible in a year just to do that, and it's all in your head and hasn't dropped into your heart, I think this message is for you. What does it mean for us to meditate and to soak and to saturate in the Scriptures? Well, I know what you need. You're saying to yourself, I would love to do that, but what's the benefit of that, right? We need a goal. We need a delight to pursue. And this psalm tells us three quick things of the benefits of meditating on the Word of God. What does it do for us in our life? The first thing is this, is a blessing. I mean, it's the very first word in the psalm. And think about it this way. The very first word in the book of Psalms is blessed, is blessing. Some of us think, some of us think that the Bible starts with sin. Some of us even have a theology 
that, that, that it's all about sin and, and, and it's the bad thing and that's the first thing. Did you know the very first thing that God pronounces over Adam and Eve is not a curse? It is not about sin. It's original blessing. Did you know that this is God's heart towards you? Is not to beat you down, but to build you up. Not to pronounce cursings over your life, but to pronounce blessings over you. That this is the heart of God. The word blessed means total wellness of the heart, mind, and soul of a believer. It means to be blessed. And the psalm tells us that when we meditate and when we marinate and when we soak in the scriptures slowly but surely, that there's blessings that come into our life. They can take on a number of forms, but at the end of the day, it promises blessing. Um, the second thing that it promises is this, stability. Do you see that in the Psalms, there's always analogies. The, the author's trying to teach us something, and it says this in verse 3. He is like, you see that word like there? It's trying to teach us something. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. This is good. This isn't even in my notes. Do you notice that it says that it yields its fruit in its season? And for some of you today, I feel like this is a word for you. That some of you have been praying, you've been pursuing, and you've been asking God for something, and you've implemented these disciplines in your life, and you haven't seen anything yet. And I'm here to tell you this, that it will come, but it comes in its season. In its season. Don't give up. It's just like if you're going out to plant something and you put the seed in the ground today. When you go out tomorrow, you don't immediately have tomatoes. You have to wait that it is a process that God is doing something in your life. But it says that the blessed man is planted. But now, look at verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. I mean, some of you farmers and bailing hay and this, that, and the other, you know what this is. This is sort of season for that right now. That, that in the threshing floor, what they would do is they would throw it up in the air and the good hay would fall and they would separate and then the chaff in the wind would blow away. That what the psalm is showing us is two pictures of a two lives. One life is stable despite what enters into it because it's planted. Its roots go down deep and find water. But then there's a life that no matter what happens, it gets blown away. Um, maybe, maybe this illustration will help. I was like a lot of you in hearing the news on Thursday morning of in Miami, Florida, the condominiums that had collapsed. The Champlain uh, Towers, there are 13 stories, 135 units, and Thursday morning at 1.30 a.m., the South Complex collapsed. And as I last looked at it, four people had died and 150 people were unaccounted for. And just saw that and just was praying for those people, for those first responders. And then on Saturday morning, my routine is I'll sort of read the New York Times to see what's going on in the world. And this article 
popped up in the New York Times. And the article said, engineer warned of major structural damage at the Florida condo complex. There's actually a law in Florida that every 40 years you have to have a thorough inspection, the foundations and everything like that. Well, in 2018, this condo actually had the report done and there was a number of structural damages and weak spots in 2018, but nothing was done about it. And then the collapse. For us, the collapse was sudden and out of nowhere. But the reality is, is a life that ends in destruction actually has a slow fade to it. I mean, look at the beginning in the verses that they don't have counsel with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you see the progression that is taking place? And listen, for some of us in here today, God's grace through His Word is speaking to you to evaluate where you are on this path in your life. And some of us are heading down a path that will end in total collapse and we will lose our family. And by the grace and goodness and mercy of God found in Jesus Christ, he is like a loving father saying, return home today. But when we meditate on these scriptures, there's a stability that enters into our life. I mean, when I talk to believers who are waiting in the doctor's office on the report or they've received the phone call and tragedy has struck. What do you do in those moments when you don't have your study Bible or your Bible study with you in your hand? What do you do when you're waiting in the doctor's office for what the report says? Psalm 1 says that if we get God's word in us, it's like we can be planted no matter what happens. There's blessing, there's stability, and then the last thing is this, prosperity. Now, I know what you're saying. In this day and age, that's a fearful word because, unfortunately, a lot of preachers on TV who have a wife who looks like they lost a paintball war with the crying and the stuff are asking for money, and it's a lot of crazy stuff, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The scriptures would teach that they want money from you, and there's a judgment that happens there. But the reality of what Psalm 1 is saying is is that through this blessing and through this stability, that there's a prosperity. Yeah, it might be financial, but, but think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist died with his head cut off. But John the Baptist, Jesus says, is the greatest born among a woman. That he had a prosperous life because in the end, the Christians have hope that we know that it turns out for good. Amen? That that is the prosperous life. So I know what some of you are asking. Okay, this meditation, here's the blessings that we have. That's incredible. That's awesome. How do I do this? How in the world do I do this? Very quickly, um, Martin Luther was the father of the Protestant Reformation. And we have a letter from Martin Luther whose barber actually wrote Martin Luther and asked him, how do I study my Bible and pray and meditate on God's Word? 
And Martin Luther wrote his barber like a five-page letter, and you can find it online. But he uses this tax method, T-A-C-S, teaching, admiring, confessing, and supplication. And so this is what I do. This is what I even do to prepare sermons. What I get to do through the week is I get to meditate and marinate on a passage of Scripture. And then we get to mine it and see what God has for us. So let's say that you've got your Bible reading plan. You're reading through the Bible together. And after you've read your chapter for the morning, what we do is we ask ourselves, what does this teach me about God? Because first and foremost, the Bible is not about you. The Bible is written for us, but it's not primarily written to us. We don't primarily come to Psalm 1 and go, well, am I the man of Psalm chapter 1 or this, that, and the other? We ask, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about God? And then admiration. How can I admire God for this truth? Do you know what this is? This is just seeing the beauty and the majesty of God. And do you know what we can admire God in this passage? Look at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Do you know what that means? That means God knows whose are His. And He will never let them wander off, but He knows their way. So no matter what season of life you're in, you might feel God is silent, and you don't know what's going on in your life. Already we can admire that just because I don't know what's going on, God does. And then we get to confession. What sin can I confess in light of this truth? Because listen, the more and more we see who God is, we realize who we are. Listen, proper theology does not start with man. It starts with God. And so then we see, God, I have these tendencies. God, I haven't loved you with my whole heart. And then the last thing that we get to is supplication, where we ask God, God, hold me and keep me today. God, let me not go down this path today. Do you notice the order of when asking God for things comes in this method? You see, a lot of us, you know, are like, oop, got to pray. So I just dropped the kids off at school, and now I'm driving to work. And so I'm going to turn it on 90.3, and I'm just going to pray. And so it's going to be like, God be with him, God be with him, God be with him, God be with him. And then if you're real spiritual, you're, you'll pray for a hedge of protection, right? And then a hedge of protection, and then, the, right, all this, that, and the other. And then the next thing you know, it's just been you asking God for things, and what we as the people of God are restless about is sitting and listening to the voice of God. We listen to the voice of God through the word of God. And then we sit and we marinate and we soak on these things. So this is a way that in this series through the book of Psalms, we can learn as what Psalm 1 is telling us to meditate on the law of God. I want to say this in closing as the band comes and leads us in a time of response. Like I said, um, I try to meditate and think about the passage of Scripture that's going to be for us on Sunday. And so all through the week, I'm just asking God, God, what do you have for us in this? God, reveal yourself to us through this. And it's one of the difficulties of having to preach week in and week out is because, quite frankly, I feel like I never get enough time to really just soak and marinate in God's word. But 
God spoke to me on Friday night at a baseball field. Um, Piper, our youngest, is a t-ball champion. They won, yeah, it's awesome, right? So we coached and we, well, I, I coached and we started this team. And listen, when we looked at the first game and these kids, we were like, this is like bad news bears. Like, we're just trying to get through this season and oh my goodness gracious. And then lo and behold, they start learning and they start doing stuff. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is great. And then we found ourselves in the tournament. And so they played for the championship and it was so much fun just to see the celebration and all the hard work and some church family members are on the team and we're, we're having a blast. Well, Saturday, we're hanging out at the house and Piper comes up to Courtney and I just with this big grin on her face. And, and she goes, Mommy and Daddy, Mom, Daddy, I keep on remembering. I keep on remembering. And we go, well, baby girl, what are you remembering? And she goes, I keep on remembering that I'm the winner. I keep on remembering that I'm the winner. And so she'd be playing and she'd be hanging out and then she would remember, we won the championship. Man, I'm a winner, right? And when she said that, I thought, there it is. That's meditation. That what if in your life, Instead of in the morning, you thinking about everything that needs to get done and clean and organized and this conflict and this is going on with your family and what about this and God has to do this and if we don't, what if he kept remembering that for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? That though we were dead in our trespasses and sins and hostile in our mind towards God, but God being rich in mercy and the great love that he had for us sent his son. What if you kept remembering that you were a son and daughter of the king? So listen, I just have one question in closing. Do you want the blessing, stability, and prosperity that Psalm 1 speaks of? Do you want that? Then listen, pick up the book Meditate on the book, read the book, soak in the book, and keep on remembering who you are in Christ. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you so grateful for your word, grateful that you've spoken to us, grateful that to know that the original word is blessing, not cursing. God, there's so much for us. And so as we start this series and as we look at the book of Psalms and how Psalm 1 is a gateway for us, may we remember, may we slowly soak and meditate and marinate in your word. God, I pray that this would be life-changing for some of us in the room today. That instead of in the first parts of the day thinking about everything that needs to get done, that we would remember what you have done for us. And then that we would see our delights and our desires begin to change. God, some of us in this room are struggling with addictions. We're struggling with our past. We're struggling with our identities. And every single day, it's a fight. It's a fight against temptation. It's a fight against the guilt and shame. And God, I pray and declare in the power of the Word of God that you would change our desires 
and that our desires would be for you. Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious and in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.